From reviews to rankings, the big picture is all things movies. From in-depth analysis of the latest flick to sit-down interviews with some of the biggest movie stars and filmmakers on the planet, Sean Fennessy and Amanda Dobbins have got you covered. Check out The Big Picture on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. One thing you don't have to worry about cleaning up this spring season, your wireless bill. Just switch to Mint Mobile. It's easy. And right now, they have unlimited talk, text, and data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required equivalent to $15 a month for first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line, it's the comptroller of Kingstown. It's Andy Greenwald! Is that an elected position in Kingstown? Or <laughs> I think, patronage? I think it's more of a patronage kind of thing. Right. A scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Andy, it's Thursday. Uh, it's so great to see you. Today we have Brandon Flowers and Ronnie Venucci from The Killers on the show. And we're going to talk a little bit about some shows that are coming in November namely Mayor of Kingstown and Wheel of Time on Amazon and Paramount Plus, respectively. And Greenwald, we're also going to talk about Only Murders in the Building on Hulu, which just debuted this week. Can I just begin, though? I can't wait to talk about those things. I know we got a lot to get through. Yeah. Um, we got a big knock list, as sure. uh, Ethan Hunt would say. But I just have to start with one request. Chris, you and I know, we don't try to make a big deal about this, but we we know that some higher-ups in the industry, listen to us. We're grateful for that. That's really mm-hmm. cool. It's kind. It's nice to have a dialogue. With, uh, Joel with Silver. And, uh, yeah. Great, the great Al Ruddy. Yeah. Jerry Bruckheimer. Mm-hmm. I have a request for anyone who's listening from the FX network. And, and a request, let me preface the request by saying, we're about to turn our attention to you. Not because of their patronage so much as there are a bunch of shows coming up. Why the Last Man, Impeachment, you and I both really like Reservation Dogs. My favorite comedy, What We Do in the Shadows, is back tonight, I think. Mm-hmm. So that's all really exciting. I'm not saying this is a quid pro quo thing, but if there's anything you could do to encourage your marketing team to take down the American Horror Story billboards from the east side of Los Angeles, <laughs> I would appreciate it. My household would appreciate it. And most of all, my young children would appreciate it. Because they are scary AF. And super disturbing. And now just driving my daughters to school is like running through a minefield of half-submerged, terrifying alien monster heads. Are you talking about the one that's the alien with the teeth? Yeah, which like half-submerged. Right. Or sometimes there's two of them. And And I've tried everything. That's the scariest thing you see on Sunset Boulevard. Well, they keep their eyes up. I say, uh, girls, eyes up. Always (laughs) eyes up. You know what I mean? Um, One time... One time they saw Tobey Maguire getting coffee at Go Get Him, and they have not recovered from that. <laughs> that was, honestly, I haven't recovered from that. That was, that was disturbing. But Player I'm X, just, I can't I'm believe just, it in the flesh. I'm just saying they, I've just tried to play it so many different ways, including one time, and I was proud of myself. I went on a jag when I was making the turn onto Fountain where I was just like, maybe the two aliens are friends. Haven't we learned not to judge creatures by their outward appearance. And just because they're snarling at each other and are terrifying looking doesn't mean they're about to fight. Maybe they're just learning about each other and they're hugging. And I'm proud, I guess, that my children saw right through that bullshit. And it's just a lot. And then, Chris, because of the way TV works, maybe they want to fire up uh, an episode of Lion Guard or whatever. And they go to the Apple TV Guess what's the featured square on the top of the homepage? American Horror Story. I need a break. I just Land need a break craft. from Come it. On, it man. would really help me. Everyone needs to be sleeping better. You know, the world's scary enough. That's my request. 
Speaking of the world being scary enough, you know, uh, Andy, I just thought I would say uh, that we're thinking of our family and friends back in Philadelphia, which had really bad storms. And we're obviously thinking of people in New Orleans and in New York and in Texas and in California and in Nevada and where wherever things are falling apart, which seems to be all over the place. But, you know, waking up this morning and seeing uh, 676 pretty much underwater mm. <laughs> and caused me to call my mom pretty quickly this morning. She's luckily on a hill, uh, which is good. And we also got rid of her car, which I'm glad about. But, you know, just, just shout out to everybody in Philly. Keep dry and stay safe. You didn't get rid of her car on the Blue Route. You didn't just like leave it to be washed away. <laughs> no, I converted it into a submarine. So Smart. yeah, kind of like in the investigation. Um, anyway, do you want to start talking about some of these shows that are coming in November? Yeah, we could do some of these trailers, some trailers. Yeah, talk. so trailers dropped for The Wheel of Time today. And for Mayor of Kingstown, that dropped a little earlier in the week. Mayor of Kingstown, we can start with that, is the new show from Taylor Sheridan. It's his first sort of gambit as his the sort of Taylor Sheridan empire that's going to be on Paramount+. Plus. We've already got uh, Yellowstone, obviously, on the Paramount Network, although I believe it streams on Peacock, if I remember correctly. But Paramount Plus now is getting full on into the Taylor Sheridan business, which I obviously approve of greatly. Um, if you haven't seen his movie from earlier this year, those who wish me dead, like it's really, really good. It's like just a really good action thriller. With That's Angelina the Angelina Jolie, Jolie movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Mayor of Kingstown is about a family, apparently, is about a family that runs a correctional facility, I think, in Michigan. And it stars Jeremy Renner and Kyle Chandler, who was a late sort of uh, announcement that he was also also in this show. And it's uh, comes from Sheridan. It's directed, at least the first episode, I believe, is directed by Antoine Fuqua. So you can tell all these keywords are very CR friendly. I'm very excited about Kyle Chandler and Antoine Fuqua, Taylor Sheridan. Obviously, we have a history of of like being Renner watchers. Can't you throw me an AG bone and say that Diane Weist is in the show? Like, give Diane, me something. You think that you're like the only Weist head here? No, I, I, I mean, <laughs> look, I, I love I, I sprinkle nutritionally Weist on everything, man. My favorite soundtrack is Weist Side Story. <laughs> you know, like that's that's. That's what wakes me up in the morning. I'm just saying that, like, of that long list, like, I feel like you can divide our podcast. You know, there there's some things that you do and some things that I do. And you do Anton Fuqua and Taylor Sheridan. And I like Diane Weist. And that's, you know, that's okay. There are shows for both of us now. Great little trailer. Well put together. Yeah. Some Sicario vibes with the, the music. Yeah. And I think that I guess I should say credit to the people who cut the trailer, but also credit to Taylor Sheridan and Paramount Network for investing in him because he knows exactly what he what he's doing. You yeah, know, there is something for me. I mean, literally, he is, and there's something really not just almost refreshingly old fashioned about that. You know, but also it's just very savvy. I'm I'm glad. I mean, I don't know the guy, and I don't have any stakes in Paramount other than you know basically propping up their bottom line thanks to the Paw Patrol movie. But I'm just saying they, all of these corporations, as they move into streaming, want two things that are seemingly at odds. They want eye-catching prestige shows that'll get stars and awards and attention and subscriptions. But what they really want is Law & Order Special Victims Unit. And not mm -hmm. necessarily that show, but what I'm saying is they want something that is dependable. They mm -hmm. want a brand that they can invest in. For NBCU, that is Dick Wolf, who just churns out these shows that people really like and you know what they are. Very rare to find someone who is in that prestige world, but delivers mm -hmm. on the degree of a old school broadcast TV mocker like Taylor Sheridan does. So it seems like a slam dunk. My This, no, this will come as no surprise to anyone. I kind of wish it was mayor of Kingstown, not mayor. <laughs> uh -huh. Because, and this is a theme with the other show we're about to talk about. I'm not seeing a lot of LOLs here. You know what no. I mean? Like, that's just not the, that's not the tone. That's not the theme. That's not the vibe. But it does, you know, it it, it always keeps me out a little bit. That it's just going to be this kind of macho relentlessness. Um, you know, and as someone who just exudes macho relentlessness in his personal life, sometimes I want to break from that. I think that there is there are pockets of humor in his stuff in his stuff like there's I wouldn't call there aren't moments of Sicario that I think are funny but I think the Josh Brolin character is funny in some of his delivery of his lines and I right. think that that the whole, the whole John Bernthal scene is hilarious yeah Bernthal's just like such a cut up and mm -hmm. you know uh, I think that there are moments in Yellowstone I wouldn't say again not funny but are 
like you 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 sort of grimace smile grimile you know like you know, <laughs> not smize but you sort of like mm-hmm. while while you're furrowing your brow you also mm-hmm. might kind of smile um yeah i'm just very uh i'm excited to see this i'm you know i think that you know i would say that mass incarceration is obviously a hot topic and i would be curious to see how they they go about dealing with that but yeah i'm really looking forward to this I, show i would say one other bit of you know, feel free to dismiss it concern trolling is that the show does seem to flatter the version of Renner that he likes to project, which is, you know, 1970s cinema leading man, mm-hmm. which he can pull off. I mean, or, he's, he, he's yeah. a great actor. I I feel generally that I, I like him when he is off to the center, off of center a little bit, when he is not, you know, supporting character to the degree that he was in Avengers, where you're like, oh, that guy's in the movie? But, you know, more like... <laughs> More like the energy that he brought to the town, you know, when he sure. when he was more of he's a, a he's a great actor, uh, character. He, actor. He's a great thermostat guy, where he changes the temperature of the room to to sort of appropriate a Trent Dilferism. He he kind of if you bring him in and you're just like just make it hotter in here for a minute, you know. I think that that really works. The sad part of his last like ten years, aside from uh, various other off screen reports about him, is that. He's mostly played pretty dull guys, you know, yes. like he has played very like, like kind of like Stickwood, just kind of like, yeah, I'm just I'm just like standing next to Tom Cruise or I'm standing next to Chris Evans. And I I'll save the rest of my Renner concern trolling for when Hawkeye comes out. But okay. it, it's really baked into that because I think that people who listen to this podcast know I th- the, the comic book that I love most from the last decade plus probably is Matt Fraction's run on Hawkeye. That is what is the source material more or less for the upcoming Disney Plus series. Right. And what's so great about that is that he reinvented the character, the long-running character of Hawkeye as kind of a, just kind of knock around, doing his best, covered in Band-Aids, guy who shows up to fight it's Thanos. Like a down with a, and out with a private eye, right? Yeah, right. It, it, it very much has that vibe. And I love that. And there's a lot of charm in it. And I'm not saying that's outside of Renner's purview, but that's certainly not how he's either played that character or just been, that's not what he's been focused on in his acting or his singer-songwriting for the last uh, last decade. So we'll see. But obviously this show, you know, you could, you're could you just going to buy, you're not even going to download the screeners. You're just going to buy an IV bag and just, just let it run. Yeah. Uh, I also am curious about Wheel of Time. So I'm not familiar with the novels. I'll say that up top. And, and this obviously is an adaptation of the Robert Jordan sci-fi fantasy novels. And I guess they are just fantasy novels. I don't know if you would call them sci-fi, but that, that might be where Walden Books would have shelved them. In the sure, 80s. yeah. Shout out, shout, shout out to Walden Books. Um, the Amazon has spent quite a bit of change on this one. They've 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 basically like gone all in on these two huge fantasy epics. This and obviously Lord of the Rings, which will come next year. Uh, they have a lot tied up in this. And I'll read you the logline because this was news to me. Uh, Rosamund Pike heads the cast as Moraine, a member of the all-powerful, all-female Ace Sedai, who arrives in a small town of two rivers. From there, she undertakes a world-spanning journey with five young men and women, one of whom is prophesized to be the Dragon Reborn, mm. who will either save or destroy humanity. And that that is taken from the Hollywood Reporter uh story about the trailer which just dropped um so the first thing i did after i watched this trailer andy out of curiosity Mm -hmm. is i went back and watched the first trailer for game of thrones Mm. which looks like a fucking john cassavetes movie compared to this (laughs) um not only is it very very specific like it really is instead of it being kind of platitudes about you know the one who will come and save us and a lot of the stuff that you see in the wheel of time uh, it's pretty much devoid of special effects. In fact, it is entirely devoid of special effects. There's like a suggestion of the White Walkers, but we don't see them. Um, you know, Daenerys is essentially just standing there. Uh, it's not like she isn't a dragon yet. She hasn't become the, the sort of dragon queen. And the dialogue is all political chess moves and mm-hmm. philosophies on power. And there's obviously sex and violence in the show. And... This obviously is not the same book, so uh, you know I don't necessarily expect them to treat it the same. But it made me think about how far we've come and how much this stuff has changed. Where Game of Thrones seemed like, I wouldn't necessarily say a dice roll or a kind of weird play for HBO, although it was both of those things in some ways. 
But how much, you know, it was like, we are giving this fantasy epic to two guys who are probably more comfortable writing things like 25th Hour. Yep. And seeing if what we what we can come of that. And also like the HBO-ness of it, where it yep. was like, obviously there's going to be sex in the show. Obviously there's going to be decapitations in the show. It's going to be that kind of illicit true blood boardwalk empire, like the things that we deliver on a pretty mm-hmm. regular basis. And you know, clearly it became a global phenomenon. It is the reason why something like Wheel of Time gets made now. And I'm just I wonder whether or not certain places like they're taking the wrong lessons, you know, like people take the wrong lessons from the success of Game of Thrones. I agree with you 100 percent. I the same caveat applies. I don't know these books. They could be fantastic. Um, I also, as everyone knows, don't still don't know the Game of Thrones books. Timing matters in in this sort of stuff with television. And regardless of the fact that there are clearly fundamental differences between um, George Martin's project and, and Robert Jordan's project wheel of time what game of thrones was for hbo and especially in retrospect it looks even more brilliant was a gateway it was the project that basically held hands and connected one era of hbo with the future era of hbo max as well as you could say you could draw back and say one era of television to the next era the trailer you saw was exactly as you said it was appealing to people who liked the sopranos and rome you know which was a briefly wasn't super successful, but did okay for them kind of show. Um, and the genius of it and the way they structured it was that they knew with the material, they could start with interesting actors in rooms talking about the nature of things to earn those other kinds of fans. And then they wouldn't have to start writing the big checks for the big dragons until later when it had proven itself worthy of them. And that's exactly how it played out. And so we went from a world where we would expect HBO to have, you know, very well-written dramatic scenes of people in rooms talking to, you know, a dude on top of a dragon setting fire to a freight convoy. (laughs) Great scene. Um, I still, and I know this is old-fashioned, this culture has passed this idea by, but I liked that Game of Thrones had that extra corporate, maybe, pressure to be more than just one thing. Sure. To be to be a beacon to a lot of different types of fans who would end up in a certain place. And the thing that ended up making it a global sensation is not the thing you can bank on from the beginning. What made it a global sensation was the fact that after one or two seasons, they were delivering. That there was this, there were so many twists and turns to come as written in the book, but they were already pro- they'd already proven to the right audience of television that this was worth it. And by the time... The rest of the world caught up. They probably caught up in binging in two or three seasons, and then they were already all off to the races. The bet of a project like this that can only be underwritten by someone like Jeff Bezos is we're all in. We're pot committed, like half a billion dollars before we even know if anyone likes this. Mm-hmm. And the second thing about it is that you, you when you when you finish watching the trailer, you did you know a very smart professional podcaster thing and sought out something else for context and for conversation. I just let out a very deep sigh. Mm-hmm. Because this isn't for me. I, I, I feel like it, you know, we'll check it out. Maybe it's done at a very high level. I love Rosamund Pike. But I am not a deep fantasy guy. Uh, and I haven't been for 30 plus years. Right. And the best, best, best version of this isn't, to my mind, going to be the best, best thing on television. It's going to be the best fantasy epic on television. And that's a different thing. And it, look, that's where we're headed. That's the siloed version we're headed into. And that's the same, you could make the same argument about the Taylor Sheridan verse, which Mayor of Kingstown could be a phenomenal show. It could be super entertaining. It could give you and millions of other Ozark fans, you know, exactly what you want. <laughs> and I don't even mean that dismissively, but I do think no, that it you does don't come. Sound not at all. But I do think that it comes with a built-in ceiling. Uh, which which means it's not going to become the show that everybody necessarily wants. And it doesn't it doesn't really have to be. Not everything is for everyone. But I kind of miss that feeling. And the the other thing that I can't get out of my head when I think about Wheel of Time is just like, did Amazon make this insane financial commitment because they wanted not just a Game of Thrones, but because they wanted Lord of the Rings and they greenlit this and then they got Lord of the Rings and they were like, We're our owners. Well, obviously the money we're is no object. Too. Yeah, obviously money I, is no object there. I, I guess we'll see. We we have found out that there is no limit to the global audience for superhero stories. 
there may be a limit to the global audience for swords and sorcery epics. But we've been proven wrong before. Uh, can I just say one thing about uh, something from this trailer? Yeah. I need us to, as a society, move on from people kind of sort of making a circular shape with their hands and creating a ball of energy. Totally. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I feel like we've, we've Dr. Strange this into the ground. I, you know, it's like sometimes in basketball, guys wear long shorts. Sometimes it's time for short shorts. And I think as a as a magic power having society, we need to come up with a new gesture for developing energy between our hands. I couldn't agree more. Um, you're, you're, I'm, I'm not sure. I haven't seen it, but I'm picking up huge. I've seen Shang Chi vibes from you right now. Yes, yes. Um, so I'm guessing that's part of it. And but that's also like if you watch the end of uh of of Infinity War, you know where they or Endgame where they all fight Thanos, like half the superheroes are just like and creating a ball of energy in their hands, and it's just like guys, like let's get some new hand gestures. Go on TikTok and like check out some new ways of of doing some choreography. Did, did I ever tell you this? Um, when years ago, now it's like twenty years ago, I interviewed the great comic book writer grant morrison uh-huh. uh scottish comic book writer who at the time had just was that also on the andy greenwald show was it this was actually for a print publication this was uh <laughs> prior to the podcast and he had just totally revolutionized the x-men in a way they wouldn't be revolutionized again until the jonathan hickman run that's happening now and he was talking about how he still had one really good idea for marvel property which was dr strange and because and what appealed to him was that dr strange in the comics when he did magic didn't gather balls of energy in his hands but he always made kind of like heavy metal gestures, like, you know, like the, like the, the, or like the, if you're a UT fan, like the horns, you know, like with his fingers up. And so what, what uh, Graham Morrison thought was that what he was doing in those moments was he was plucking the strings of the universe mm-hmm. and that he was physically manipulating like magical connective tissue that we couldn't see. And so he had this whole physical idea of how magic would be. And I was like, that's really cool. That's a great idea. And maybe it's time for Marvel to come up with that idea. So we had just have less, I'm making a circle with my hands, like a yin-yang yeah, symbol. I get it. I, get, I know what I they're throw. doing. I'm just saying yeah. that we probably have enough examples of that happening. And like, we need to iterate. Do we know what we're doing? Because <laughs> look, WandaVision was great. If I asked you right now, I said, Chris, tell me what tell me what Wanda Maximoff's powers are. What would... What would you tell Do, me? But she has like all the powers, right? Does she? Is she like telekinetic and telepathic? No, I believe her powers are, and I'm quoting here, reality bending. Oh, well, I okay. mean, yeah. Let's talk about Only Murders really quickly before we get to your interview with uh, the two, two of the founding members of The Killers. Um, Only Murders in the Building is a new show on Hulu. It's uh, co-created by Steve Martin and John Hoffman. It stars uh, Steve Martin as a sort of over-the-hill uh, Ex procedural actor uh, named Charles. It also stars Martin Short as an overhill Broadway director named Oliver, and Selena Gomez as a both stoic and anxious young woman. They all live in an Un- under what? the hill, I would say. Under the hill, Selena right? Gomez's, exactly. Yeah. And they all live in uh, uh Upper West Side building called the Arconia, which is kind of like a stand-in for an actual building called Ansonia, right? Yeah, I think they filmed at the Apthorpe. Like there are these just these insane buildings with courtyards. So it's beautiful. Yeah, it's it's New York real estate porn to the max. It is a delightful comic mystery, uh, the likes of which I don't think we've had in a while. Uh, if I can't, I was trying to remember like the last time there was a show like this that I at least one that I saw. This is like slow food, not slow food because it's from a gastronomic community in Italy, but slow food because you can't eat fast or you'll get angina. Food uh, search party. <laughs> Yeah, you know, that's a really good it was, example. It, it was similar to that in that these three strangers who live in the same building are drawn together first by a shared love of true crime podcasts and then second by an actual murder in their building, which leads them to want to investigate and make their own podcast and get to the bottom of it. Right. And and obviously, as podcasters, we have a lot of time for for shows about podcasters. I can't think of any. I would, I would much rather watch. Yeah, exactly. Um, what did you think of the show? So the first three I, episodes, I think, are up on Hulu now. I was really surprised how delightful I found this show to be. Um, it, the thing it, is, is you, I think that you underestimate just how you you are. And this is a, this is a lovely mystery with Martin Short and Steve Martin. It the uses the New Yorker font. Is he in the New Yorker font? Like, yeah. I'm sorry to put you in a box, but enjoy no. your box. <laughs> it's a it's a lovely box, you know, with uh, with with 
River views. Um, you're right. I guess the thing that I found sort of surprising about it was I unfairly assumed it would be elderly in the sense that there were extreme, like late period Woody Allen film vibes, not just from the font, but from older people with a younger woman cast into, you know, and, and Selena Gomez was in a recent Woody Allen movie. Uh, her character's name is Mabel, which suggests that it was written for someone else or written by people who haven't spoken to anyone under 30 in years. And couldn't have been more wrong because the show is gentler and kinder in a way that I didn't expect it to be, but also more dramatic than I thought it was going to be. I mean, there is a mystery baked into it, which is making it fun to watch. But it also is one of the greatest arguments I've seen recently for this era of TV and the Vanity Project. Mm -hmm. Because, look, Steve Martin and Martin Short are two of the greatest comedic performers of our lives and people who are older than us's lives, no question. They continue to do good work, including a stage show together. But what this made clear to me is that they haven't had the opportunity to be showcased on any screen the way they would like to be in a while. Yeah. You know, Steve Martin has done very pleasant guest spots on like 30 Rock and Tina Fey returns the favor here. Martin Short will always show up and blow the doors off a place like he did in, you know, in John Mulaney's otherwise ill-conceived sitcom. But he's always playing like the biggest version of himself. And the thing that make both of those guys such wonderful performers is their pathos. Like they're just great actors and performers. And the thing that makes Martin Short's bloviating work is when he's allowed to show the humanity underneath it. And they've written themselves really wonderful showcases that are just, it's just, I really just was happy watching this show. Yeah, I mean, so I've watched quite a few of them on the screeners. So I don't want to like, just, I don't want to tip by accidentally saying something that happens after episode three. So I'll simply say that I completely agree with you that this is the best example of, not, I wouldn't say they had carte blanche, but like the kind of jokes that they are making, which really do feel very 30 Rocky in places in terms of their like knowingness about New York culture. It's just like, I, I'm, I, you could just serve that up to me all day, you know, and like the very sort of bite sized nature of the episodes are, they're usually like 28 to 32 minutes and they're just really enjoyable. And like, I think that the, the mystery is a little bit like silly at times, but it's mm -hmm. so so funny and just like I'll just watch Martin Sh Martin Short as a failed Broadway director is like a great idea. I just I just I just wish we had more of him. Yeah, the the I agree. The the murder stuff. It, I mean, it, it it's more than I thought it would be in terms yeah, of trying. Yeah, it's to, actually like, that's the one yeah. thing I would say is that they definitely get pretty deep into the Tim Kono investigation. Yeah, which is not the most compelling thing about it, but I think that's fine because as we often say about about successful shows, particularly comedies, I mean. What you love is the characters and the kindness, and then you put them in, you know, any sorts of cir circumstances or situations, and, and there you go. The show is not, it doesn't feel, I said Vanity Project, but one thing you'll see when you watch the pilot, if you haven't already, is that it has a, it has a pep in its step. You know, it is not just sitting around being like, look who's here. Like, they, they took this seriously and wanted yeah. to make a compelling and entertaining show. And so it just went in my head from a very odd seeming, it's just like an odd, uh, uh, Vanity Project to something that has legs and is have really you, good. How many of you watch? Uh, two. Two. Did they? Did Martin Short start talking about dips in the second one? Dips. He's talking. Yeah. His his thing about eating only dips is in. The have you ever one. tried to just eat dips? Like, have you ever been like tonight? I'm just going to have dips. When I was a child and my father was away for work or whatever, my mother and I had a tradition of basically just eating like a potato chips and dip for dinner. That, which, if you try that, yeah. I think that it really makes you go crazy. Because yeah, you're never so. you're never full, so you actually wind up eating for like three and a half hours, and then you're just like, "What is happening?" Like I'm full of carrots, you know? Carrots and best case scenario chickpeas. Worst case scenario, two sticks of butter and like some frozen spinach. You know what <laughs> yes. I mean? Like it's it's not going to work out well for you. My my favorite Martin Short line is when he mistakes Steve Martin for Scott Bakula. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it, that that was. <laughs> That, that was enjoyable. But um, yeah, it's really into the show. We'll, we'll, maybe we'll circle back as the mystery unfolds and, and we get a sense of what listeners think about it. But check it out on Hulu. Like it is just, I just did not see this coming and it's really a pleasure. I want, I want Kaya to watch this just because of the podcast element and see if, you know, because there's a lot, they do, they redo their lines on the podcast a lot in the show and we, we, we do not do that here. 
I also want to ask Kaya. Yeah, Kaya, watch it. We'll circle back next week because, and I mean this, this is not ageism. I mean this sincerely, but like when they went to Selena Gomez and they were like, would you like to be in the show with Steve Martin and Martin Short? There's no way she was like, yes, I love those guys, right? I don't know. Like, I think she's probably pretty hip. You know, she probably I know knows she's smart Steve and is. savvy, but okay, she, she knows about him. From what? What I'm is sure her? She's keeper by the, the dozen. Yeah, father of keeper the bride. By the dozen. Thank you, Kaya. That's right. Thank you. Okay, that's what I wasn't sure about because I know it's not like the King Tut song. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know it's not Three Amigos, which was released six years before she was born. And that's, I'm not saying she she, she doesn't need to know who they are. She doesn't, doesn't owe matter. us anything. You don't owe no, us anything, Selena. But I was yeah. legitimately curious because- What was your the, entree? Yeah, she would probably are, be like, now she could be like, oh, I'm a huge fan of uh, Steve Martin's humorist pieces, you know? In the New York, yes. His banjo playing is exquisite. But like you rarely get at the top of a cast- of a call sheet, such a extreme McDLT of separation. Yeah. Right. Where one side are two septuagenarian comedic geniuses who tour together. And the other side is a 29 year old pop superstar. There is no evident overlap whatsoever. There is no handholding. So I thought that was interesting and it, it's fine. It works. We should get into our, get into this interview yeah. just to set it up for people who don't know. Um, Killers, great long running band released, I think, the best album of their career last year, Imploding the Mirage. Brandon Flowers came on the show last year to talk about it. In Because they couldn't go tour, they made their seventh album really quickly. And, and almost a, as a surprise release a couple weeks ago, it's called Pressure Machine. It's unlike anything else they've ever done. It's a lot more folky and Bruce Springsteen and R.E.M. influenced. I have a lot of time for it, particularly mm. the um, once, once this track Sleepwalker starts or on track five, I think it has some of the best songwriting they've ever done really has grown on me. And I also just love it when, I'm sure that I'm not projecting here, but I love it when slightly older acts continue to try new things and tap different creative veins. Sure. And I think it's kind of inspiring and great. And the last thing I'll say is, this is the fourth time Brandon's been on the podcast. And originally, because Brandon and I, you know, we have, we have a nice chemistry, I think, when we talk. And so I was just going to follow up with him. And then I find out that Ronnie, the drummer, yeah. really wanted to join. Sure. And really wanting to join Ron, Ron, Ronnie's my guy. <laughs> and that's the thing. So I was just going to talk to Brandon. Then we find out Ronnie's going to join. And Ronnie joined on his iPhone walking in the woods, which is very, very on brand for Pressure Machine, but not on brand for the way Kai McMullen and others like to run a podcast. So that was a little bit disconcerting. And ultimately, it you'll hear this in the interview. I think he missed you, Chris, because uh -huh. I think that the thing about Ronnie is he's just like, listen, man, I play the drums. I write some guitar lines. And I really just want to talk about Ozark. Like, that's why I thought I was going to do on this podcast. Ronnie's not same, here. but minus the drums. <laughs> exactly. But like, not not hear these two Nancys talk about like how you feel about your hometown versus how you feel about it now. Like, I just think that we were missing the special sauce and that was you. And I wanted to apologize before we get into the interview, which otherwise, as always, it's just great to talk to, you know, it's great to talk to people in a band you love. A future date, maybe after Ozark concludes its run, we could have Ronnie back on and, and you could you could exit stage left. 100%. We, I, I don't think this made it into the podcast, but at the end, we did say that there, there are posters up in LA already next to the horrifying alien posters that say that killers are playing like a stadium show August of 2022, which I love the confidence. I love the, the bet on our relative viral health. But because they won't have a new album to promote, they said they would come on solely to talk about TV. And Brandon was like, All right, I, I just started White Lotus. And we were like, okay, save it. We'll save it. All right, uh, well, let's get into this interview with the Killers. Thanks for listening to The Watch. Thank you to Kai McMullen, as always, for producing us. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. One thing you don't have to worry about cleaning up this spring season, your wireless bill. Just switch to Mint Mobile. It's easy, and right now they have unlimited talk, text, and data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required equivalent to $15 a month for first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. 
When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. I'm so excited. This is my favorite time of the year. It's the time when members of the Killers come on the podcast to talk about an amazing new album. We've got we've got two years streak going, two previous right. appearances before that. Let's keep it up. Um, I'm so happy to be joined once again by Brandon Flowers and Ronnie Venucci. Thanks, guys, for being here. Thanks for having us. So a year ago, Brandon and I, we were talking about Imploding the Mirage, an album that I absolutely adore and was so, so excited about because I felt like it um, sort of just underlined and reminded me and the world what a killer's record could be. And what's so exciting about having you guys back this year is that just 12 short months, actually, no, they were very long months for Planet Earth. (laughs) Uh, Later, we have another album, Pressure Machine, which is thrilling in an entirely different way because I think it's showing us all the different things a killer's album uh, could be. How quickly did the making of the records blur into one another? Because Brandon, I remember when we spoke last year, you were saying you already had some stuff going, you were already back at work. Was it as quickly as it seemed? Yeah, I, I, we had already begun before Imploding the Mirage was released. We were already going on. We had already made a trip to a studio in, in Northern California. It was everybody's first trip after lockdown um, had, had kind of started. What was that town, Ronnie? Katati, in Prairie Sun Recording Studio. And it was still, we still, it was still, uh, nobody had told us that we needed to wear masks yet. Remember, we still weren't, weren't, weren't wearing masks yet. But we were scared to death. I think Sean Everett, was, <laughs> Sean Everett might have been wearing a, a sort of headgear. But that could have just been fashion at that point, right? It was still early. Yeah. Very, very likely. So it wasn't necessarily, I guess part of the narrative I was curious about unpacking was this idea that you made this, you know, album that was so ready to be played in arenas and stadiums and then found out you weren't going to be able to be in arenas and stadiums for the foreseeable future and pivoted, you know, and took advantage of the opportunity. But that might be a little bit faulty, right? Because it sounds like you were just, you had something going and you wanted to just get it down before a tour might happen. It was looking pretty ominous. Yeah, at that point, I think we knew that the the sky had fallen, and 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 we were sort of um, yeah, that was smacked at. That it would have been June or July, end of July. Oh, okay. So yeah, we knew. We, we, we knew. <laughs> yeah, it it wasn't just Sean Everett. Um, do you no. do you think of the records as relational to each other? I mean, I, I if I was still wearing my my rock critic hat, which was a very ill-fitting hat, and I'm glad you guys aren't looking at it on Zoom, but I would say something like, you know, you can't implode without applying pressure, but I, oh. I feel, sorry, you know, we, we can edit that. Um, <laughs> but do you think of them as relational? Do you think of them as records that needed to come out one after the other or in, in any ways in a dialogue with one another? No, the two records before were were companions. And we had never really done that before. So wonderful, wonderful, and imploding the mirage are, are, are sort of companions. Hmm. And so this is a total departure from all of that. 
and you know it's in another world and we it, it's not it's usually people say well I, we couldn't have made this without the without you know the previous record right but our i mean sadly the story for this is we couldn't have made this without the pandemic it allowed us to to go into uh this uncharted territory for us was there one particular song or idea that sparked the creativity that went into this or, or or do you really credit it more to that that feeling that we're kind of talking about or talking around of like being forced to break out of that boom and bust cycle that you guys have become accustomed to of make the record do the world tour time off do it again there's this like there's this internal dialogue that i was starting to have it was like you know feeling a little bit frustrated with that cycle because it, 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 on one hand you're so grateful that you're in this position to be able to go on these world tours and, and play arenas and stadiums. And, and, and there's a lot of people that rely on, on, on our machine that we've created to, you know, for, for their livelihoods. And, and then on the other hand, you have this, you know, this, these other artistic muscles that you want to flex and these other uh, creative outlets that you want to look into. And you're wondering, you know, when there's going to be time for that. And so it, it, it allowed for that. Was there, uh, I mean, I, I guess I, re- I read an article or uh, an interview you guys did in the last few weeks, and I, and I wonder if this is accurate or not, but the, the implication was that, Brandon, you came in prepared with more lyrics and points of view and stories and characters than perhaps in other recording sessions where you've been more inspired by the music or it's been the last thing added. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, usually I am reacting to what the band is doing in the room. That's, you know, that's an ideal situation for for us when, 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 when they're firing and I'm able to respond. Uh, and this was very different. Uh, it was, it was almost like, how will you respond to this, this place that we're trying to, to bring people into? And I feel like that's something really cool happened with that. And people were forced to play differently and, and show restraint. And, and we got some, some really different sides to us. Ronnie, what, how does that play out for you as 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 a musician in the band? Are there ever moments of high stress or pressure where you have something really beautiful that you're excited about and you're looking at Brandon tapping on your watch, being like, "Where are we going with this?" I think you stumble into to little happy accidents, and if, you know, of course, sometimes it takes a while to get there. Like he was saying, usually it's it's everybody sort of dishing out ingredients for 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 the you know master recipe, I guess. And, um, this way it was totally flopped. It was like, here, here's the focus here. Here's what, what I'm singing about. This is the feeling now put it, let's put it to music. Let's figure out how, how it rides with the lyric, which is actually, uh, like he was saying, a really fun process and, and maybe something we'll, we'll, we'll start to employ in the future. It's good. I love, I love the challenge of, of it's you sort of like, you know, a session musician or, or you know, more so like more like an actor, even, you know, where you, you're sort of given a part to play and you just, you try it out. It was a lot of fun. We, we ended up going to the, the other sort of byproduct of this, this fun exercise is that we ended up with different versions of songs. So some, some songs we have four or five different versions of these things and all of them good, but they all have to sort of fit the collection of the record. Can you name one of the songs in particular that could have gone in multiple directions? Well, so we have the last song of the record is called "Getting By," and we actually have a, a very you know suitable for you know live playing for you know radio play or more what you what you call a, a killer style, I guess that we you know we're working on and abandoned for a more uh, simplistic approach. But we have that one. We have like d- different versions of West Hills, which are really compelling. It's all, you know, it's all, it's, it's all there. Um, and it was uh, gut wrenching, but also a little fun to sort of kill your darlings in that way. We have all these, you have a spectrum of, of, of songs to kind of choose from to lay a complexion down on the record. And choosing that was sometimes hard, but ultimately fun. I guess I'm, one of the things that I find most compelling about the record is um, for a band who, you know, one of your 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 best known and loved songs is is when you were young. This record has a very different perspective on youth, you know, from a different point of view. And I wondered for Brandon, just in terms of reconnecting with, you know, 
characters or archetypes or even real people that you remembered from your youth, what that was like to look back on from this vantage point, having gone out into the world and toured and lived different places and now living back in Utah as you are. Yeah, it was, it was, it's, it's, you know, cliche of it being cathartic and things like that. It really can be, and you can really kind of watch yourself in, in real time, work through a situation with a song and see how you come out on the other side of the song and how much you've grown. So like I, I say, I could not have written these songs 20 years ago. I just didn't have the life experience and, and the empathy. And so it's like, it's was really interesting for me to go back and look at people and choices that they made that to me may have been shocking when I was a teenager and, and experience them now having lived more life and, and having more compassion and, and, and it's, it was, yeah, it was a great experience for me. I love that you said that. I, I, mean, I, have, I specifically have a question about just loving, honestly, just breaking into a goofy grin by the time I got to the title track, which I think is just such a beautiful song. And I'm listening to it, to it, loving it as a song and also thinking they couldn't have written this song 20 years ago. And I love that. I love the the development and the the craft, but also that it has kind of a, it synthesizes a lot of what I love about the band's songwriting um, in a very, what feels like an effortless way. There's there's a confidence to it, there's style and swagger, but there's also songcraft and skill and humor and space. I, I don't even know how to really describe that, um, again, because I've hung up my rock critic hat, but there's, there's something, Brandon, the way that you deliver the lyrics where you let the song breathe in between them as you're telling the story. And I just feel like that is, there's a, there's a confidence to it that is exciting, both as a fan of the song itself, but also as a fan of the band for a number of years. Oh, thanks. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's, you know, we're starting just, just like it took, it took me a long time to, to settle into being a, a front man and, and feeling like I belonged on stage. And I think it's taken just as long or longer for me to settle into the, the idea that I can, you know, tackle these, these kind of subjects and, and that I'm worthy of being a writer, I guess. There's a, a song in particular, another one that I wanted to highlight, which I just think, you know, goes on the greatest hits album, as far as I'm concerned, which is Sleepwalker. Um, and one of the reasons that I love it is because it, it, I find it really transporting, not just in the stories you're telling and the lyrics, which are, I think, among the best you've written, but sonically, it is very, it is a very nostalgic song. I don't know if it's the it's if it's what sounds to me like a mandolin, but there's a to me it's an REM influenced song that celebrates you know the band that I loved the most in the '90s. Um, I wondered if you could talk a little bit about how that song came together as a marriage between such a well articulated vibe in the lyrics and uh, the music that you guys built around it. That one, it, it, there definitely is an REM influence. That was one of the bands that that kept coming up. There was you know when we talked about this. I always associate '90s music with, you know, the heavy hitters were kind of REM and Radiohead, Smashing Pumpkins, and all that. And there's always a little bit of a nostalgia and a melancholy uh, haze, you know, that I associate with those guys. But it started with with some lines, that song, and that one was actually worked on in, in Katati, and and Born There, and yeah, it's it's the it's the one song that has a tie to the last to the last record. Um, do you remember Ronnie when it started, it started, you know, we were just me, you and Rado. Yeah. I think we were just, uh, messing around with like a, a four chord, uh, thing chords on the bass. I remember we were just in that room. It feels like a million years ago. Um, <laughs> how did yeah. you, when you say it's connected to the last album, but it's the only one, how do you mean? It's, it's about this person who is, who is in a dark place and in the depths of depression. And I had, I had moved to, um, to, to Utah a couple of years before that. And I was experiencing seasons again. So I was, you know, in Vegas, we just don't get that, you know, that, ex, that, that true excitement and, and the glow of, of, uh, of autumn or, or, or you don't really get to see much, much life come back in the spring. And I was witnessing that again and having these senses and, and, and I was able to use those as symbolism for this person become, you know, becoming herself again. And, and it was, um, it was just the, the one thing that was, I think, tied to that sort of resilience and, and um, triumph of the previous record. 
the, the REM thing, I'm just glad you guys are, were feeling that because um, I talk about this with my podcast host, co-host all the time, Chris, like that was the most important band in my life. And I feel like a vacuum in space where they were. And I don't know what role they play in people's musical minds anymore. I, I feel like I don't hear, until I hear a beautiful song like Sleepwalker, I don't hear them in bands today the way I hope to. And I don't know why yeah. that is. Yeah, it's yeah. too bad. They were one of those bands for me too. Sometimes you all Interpol. Sometimes you hear Paul Banks will 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 become Michael Stipe in a song. <laughs> you could kind of hear that sometimes. That's definitely true. But that even that like there's just something. And I don't know. Maybe it's because they were unique. But it's sort of hard to. It's hard to communicate to anyone. I think that they were briefly the biggest band in the world. Like that. That in retrospect seems insane. Not like natural. Like it felt at the time. I'm I'm waiting for bands to get to that point again where we have pop songs and that kind of spirit like REM had. I also felt like they were a band, you know, a real just band. Today's, you know, focus on modern music is so just, you know, uh, fo focused on, on one person, you know, and dance moves and shit. We do it. We have mandolin. Mandolin all over this record. It was a little tip of the hat to, to Peter. The other thing that, that, that really moved me was, um, you know, a lot of, protagonists and killer songs tend to be, I mean, and there's a song called this, tend to be runaways. You know, the people who are either escaping or feel empowered in that moment to escape from a situation that maybe is bringing them down or crushing them. And and what I found really moving was, and I think Brandon used this word, but, you know, the empathy towards people who didn't have that moment, who didn't hit the road, who, who stayed. And in another life is, I think, to me, the other standout on the record for that reason, you know, because it is it's incredibly uh, observant of the things that matter to someone who maybe saw the fork in the road and didn't didn't take the turn and the dignity of that life regardless. Yeah, that's one, that one of the things that I came away with from the record was how much I still love it there. You know, it was when I was 16, I wanted to get out. You know, that was that was that was first and foremost. And now having moved back close to the town and, and visiting it, and I still have a sister there, um, you just see things in a different light and you respect the people and the, and the hardworking people there and, and the way of life and the traditions. And, but yeah, but on, in another life, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's about someone that's, that has these questions that we all might have and that we, that we all might ask ourselves. And, and that's, yeah, there's a, typically a silver lining in, in a killer song and the, there's not really one in, in, in that one. Did you guys find yourselves fighting against some of your well-worn instincts in making the record? I ask that because I think that one of the reasons you guys are rightly celebrated is you are so good at making big songs, you know, of, of capturing that moment that is a universal experience of wanting to escape or feeling, you know, like the biggest, this is the biggest moment in your life or the romance of the world in a, in a small decision. Um, both lyrically and musically, you guys can, you guys seem to be able to get there. Did you find yourselves in the making of this record coming up to that point where a song could blast into hyperspace like the Millennium Falcon and thinking, no, no, this isn't that song. This isn't that vibe. This isn't that record. That was precisely the, the, um, the story with, uh, that song I was telling you about the getting by. Right. That was, yeah, a sort of a, a split last minute decision that Brandon made. It's just, we were sort of okay with letting a song have the bombast, maybe have it be the last song, maybe get the chance at radio. And then at the very end, we, we sort of, you know, just kind of all agreed. It doesn't fit that way. It doesn't fit with the record this way so we need to try another approach with it even if this the song itself is does sort of lend itself to maybe uh, having a more uh, pop sound or or more rock sound or whatever yeah but you guys have in the car outside on there which feels like it's snuck in with a fake id like well, <laughs> yeah kind of did that was uh, that was that one in particular was sort of the demo you're hearing the demo of us when we were writing it it, it sort of just, it had this identity out the gates and we couldn't beat it or we didn't want to beat it. We were, we sort of liked the way it ended up. I know you guys are, you know, citizens of the world and you see this as well as anyone, but it, you know, there's just been, I feel like it's been exacerbated in the last year and a half that, that 
as everyone's been sort of quarantined in their homes and everyone is siloed into their media bubbles and their 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 points of view, this idea of being able to talk to other people in our country has felt like a almost an, becoming an existential question. And I, I don't want to phrase the question as if this is the responsibility of a rock band with their seventh record to, to do it. I, I guess I'm wondering how much of that outside chatter gets into your head, Brandon, when you are, you know, you are giving voice to people in parts of the country that some of your coastal fans or some of the fans who are waiting to see you guys in Central Park for that, you know, that unfortunately aborted show the yeah. other week, they've never been to this town. And they might judge some of the people in that town or right. reduce them to their, you know, to their voting records or their hats they're wearing or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Um, it was very observational and journalistic almost. Mm -hmm. uh, I've seen some critiques of the record being that I didn't offer any kind of salve or, or cause and effect like uh, that, like that's ever been a, a, an artist's responsibility. <laughs> it's that's that uh, the album isn't called how to dismantle a pressure machine. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're right. not, there's, there isn't any, I don't know. We, we never said we were going to explain that to anybody. I'm offering you a glimpse of this place. And, and I, in, in my exercise uh, of, you know, of this record, I, I feel like I be, understood these people better and felt more love for the, and more tenderness for the place. So hopefully uh, somebody that's never been there or, you know, in this part of the Southwest is able to think about, you know, or, or get a little bit of a glimpse. Yeah. I hate, I hate we're in this place where people look to art to answer questions that we're too afraid to ask. Like that's not actually what songwriting is supposed to do, you know, or, or I don't know if you guys have seen this movie Stillwater that just came out where I'm like, I, I really liked it for many reasons, but one of which is it's a good faith exploration of someone that doesn't live in Manhattan. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, let's talk about people as people and then let's let them play out in be ways that are behaviorally true to them. And that's that's yeah. what a movie is. It's not uh yeah, it's not an instruction manual. That's right. I can't think of a great song that is though either. I I it started to make me think about about songs that do explain it and give you a, a great answer as to why someone, you know, I don't know. I don't remember. I haven't listened to it in a while. Is the last track on the U2 record, does it actually tell you how to dismantle the bomb? <laughs> I'm assuming that it's love. You it know, was, of course, it's love. And, that's love. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and that is an answer for a lot of problems. <laughs> but, uh, but, but but I just like couldn't find anything to, to else to, to diss on the album. And they're just like, well, he doesn't tell these people how to fix their problems. <laughs> I, I guess I, I, one of the things that I, I, you could probably tell from the way I keep coming back to it that I just love about this record and, and again, getting the chance to talk to you about it is you guys just feel like you are hitting a creative stride that is really special, you know, with these two records back to back and just, you know, not just good vibes of the songs and of, of playing them, but of, you know, of possibility and, and exploration. And I think just as a music fan in general, one who, you know, already admitted to bemoaning the loss of REM in the culture, I just feel like we've lost role models for how to have a rock career, you know, for like how for how to have a career over a period of time and what that and what that might mean. I, I spoke to your collaborator, Lindsey Buckingham, last week, and he's a, a musical hero of mine. And, you know, there's something that I just find very inspiring about the fact that he's like a painter who's been doing the same still life for 40 years. Like he just hasn't cracked it yet. And he's still he's still working at it. And he's bringing the, you know, the new parts of himself to it, but he's still going at it. And. I think one of the breakdowns of whatever has happened in the music industry is the loss of that kind of track, you know, or not just the track for the bands themselves, but for the fans to sort of go on the longer journey. Mm -hmm. You got an answer for that, Ronnie? I don't even know. That actually wasn't it a was question. So it's, no, it's more of a comment. And then yeah. basically what I like to do, Brandon probably remembers this. I like to throw kindling on your fires and then I see what happens. Well, yeah. it's, we, when we started, that wasn't a, a problem. You know, it was uh, there were t a lot of, of bands that you could emulate and there were uh, roads that you could take and, mm -hmm. and you could there were, you know, you could choose. It wasn't just one, you know, there were multiple. And it does seem. It's, 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 it's a scary time because if you aren't a great if you aren't great at Twitter, you know, like yeah. it's like, what what it's it's scary. We 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 are still not great at at, at Twitter, and and thank heavens we got our foot in the door when it did. I see people like like Jason Isbell who's just like kills it on Twitter. 
<laughs> it's like it's like such a blessing for for people like that. But what if you're just you're not great you think, at Twitter? Or, but do you think it's making anyone happier? Do you think he's happier for being good at Twitter? I mean, this is just this is just me asking. Like, I don't know if that's. Uh, I think it, he must get some kind of satisfaction. Right. Uh, he's really good at it. <laughs> he is good at it. <laughs> <He's> got... <laughs> but that wasn't that wasn't in the like that wasn't in the the rock and roll CV. Like, I don't think you're supposed to be pithy no. and, and politically astute in 240 characters from your cell phone. That wasn't part of no, it. Thank heavens. Well, I don't know that we would have made it. I don't know that we would have been great on Instagram or Twitter or TikTok. Um, and now you, ha- I mean, you have to consider these things. You have to consider how many people are shazamming your song. How many, you know, how, how it's, that's a scary thought. It's scary. We're so lucky, you know, as a band. I feel like some of the Samstown outfits would have been good on TikTok. <laughs> I feel like you're selling uh, yourself a little short. Yeah, well, if I just stood there, maybe and just didn't open my mouth. <laughs> um, so a year ago, um, when we talked, Brandon, you were talk. You know, we were you were projecting, and you were talking about how excited you were to bring some of the imploding the Mirage songs to concerts again. And you were sort of you were saying you were just you know they were having internal discussions about what song to begin with and what it would feel like to finally be out there again. And you even said, maybe it should be Dying Breed. You weren't sure, but you could imagine yeah. that being feeling really good. And so last week, you guys, or a, a little over a week ago, you guys were at Terminal 5. Uh, yeah. You did it. You did Dying Breed. I watched the fan. I watched the cell phone videos, which is something I could have done 20 years ago. And it felt like the right choice. Did you guys feel like it was the right choice to bring it back? Did it hit? Did it feel as good as you had hoped it would feel? For me, it did. Yeah. Yeah. That whole show felt like, um, something almost otherworldly, you know, it, we hadn't played publicly for about two years. So that whole incident, that whole show was just something else. It was emotional as was dying breed. Yeah. I mean, it was, it seemed terrific. There's a moment, and again, I'm, I'm reading into it, but and, but someone had a very good cell phone angle of your face, Brandon, that I'm sure they then put on social media. But there's a moment early on when it's still the sort of the buildup, you're in the second verse and the na-na-nas come in. And it looked like you were so excited in that moment that you almost forgot that you were the singer of the band. That like, <laughs> you were almost like, wait, I, I'm enjoying this concert so much. It's up to me to make that sound? <laughs> it was surreal, you know? We'd been thinking about it. It's been 19 months since we played uh in a you know to, to to people that were alive and in our face and it was it was incredible yeah it was has it been frustrating then to have the sort of stop start reality that we're stuck in because you know you played that show and then the next day you were supposed to be at central park and and you ended up you know beautifully playing acoustically for gail king who apparently is your biggest fan i did not know that before i watched those videos <laughs> yeah and, and we were you know we just had a gig postponed in uh florida sand jam so it looks like more of that could be coming and it's it's wild we're you know we're i guess we're getting pretty used to it is the energy still flowing in you know in in the creative direction like okay you've done this before you can pivot is album number nine already in the offing Album eight. I'm sorry. We, Maybe nine yeah, is too. We, uh, we, uh, yeah, we were, yeah, we're, we have a couple of things cooking, but we're just, uh, we're just kind of, if all, if all, you know, goes well, we will be starting in New Zealand or Australia in, I think, late March or something. And if that's all going to happen, then, then, you, then I would, I wouldn't hold your breath for album number eight. Okay. I, I mean, if that, should, if that gets postponed, I mean, it could happen, you know, again, very quickly. In my defense, if it's a double album, then then my question was accurate. Um, <laughs> no, because because right near where I live in L.A., there are big posters up for your show here in August of 2022, which I kind of think is beautiful. I find that like very hopeful that if all things go right, we all know where we'll be on August 22nd, 2022 or whatever. And and certainty is very hard to come by these days. <laughs> Well, you got to have your dreams. <laughs> exactly. Ronnie, where, where are you with it just musically? Because I, I, I feel like it must be exciting to be in a band for as long as you've been in the band and know that this vehicle can is now load-bearing enough that you can bring in 
the mandolin or um, the different notes and styles and fandoms that you've carried with you that maybe in the early days when, you know, people thought of the killers in one way, maybe it didn't feel as possible. Yeah, I think we've had, you know, we're all, we're all, we always threaten to, to, to go to, um, you know, another place musically and, and just have never had the, um, you know, a pandemic, I guess, uh, to throw us into this zone, um, to slow us down enough to, to, to have that kind of sensitivity, I guess, um, because there's a silver lining there. Where was I musically with this record? I was, I was just trying to, um, do my best of supporting this feeling and the stories um, and the sentiment and the characters as best as I could. I mean, I, it's just, it's just such a subtle and effective record in so many ways. And I just, just, it's not just the mandolin on sleepwalker, but just Brandon, like the lines that you've come up with that, that, that cut through it. Like, um, I can't remember the last time you asked me how I was, which I just feel like, Oh, I know. I said, I had those moments myself where it's just so sad and you're wondering where this, you know, you know, it's just things that you pick up on in your life. And, and I'm just lucky that, 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 that a lot of these things stuck with me and, and I was able to find an outlet for them. Um, you know, it's not tip again, it's just not something you typically hear on a killer's record. Um, those kind of sentiments and longings and, and that kind of sadness. And so it, it, even though it is really sad, a lot of the record, it, it was, there was something, a part of me that just felt um, really satisfied uh, to get it out. Yeah. I think it's just, I think it's just great. And I, you know, it, it, it's not often that people who are really good to use the film analogy, like making a blockbuster film can now make something with the graduate ending, you know, where they're just sitting oh, on the bus yeah. and it, and, and, and it sinks, it hits different. You know, and I think it really speaks to where you guys are musically and creatively that you you had that at your fingertips. Thanks. Yeah, no, we're we're really we're really ha happy with it. I don't usually typically listen to Killers records after they're done, and I I, I I sit and listen to this thing still. There's something about the interstitials and the people. Yeah, um, I think that does something for, that that makes it even more listenable, and I, I really love it. I love the idea of someone hearing in the car outside, blaring <laughs> out of a car outside, and it's just you. Just <laughs> the driveway. Nothing. I used to think the like the the bar for you know the thing you can't do at a rock show is wear the band's t shirt to the show. But if the front man of the band is listening to the band, that's that's next level. But also a, a sign of what you guys are up to. So anyway, I such a pleasure to talk to you guys again as always. Thank you for coming on, um, Andy. Come back anytime, man. Come back. I know that last time, Ronnie, you mostly wanted to talk about Ozark, and I intentionally left Chris out this time because... Oh, that's too yeah. bad. Stillwater was good, though. We could talk about Stillwater. I enjoyed that one. That was good, right? Yeah. By the way, guys, no show on Monday because of Labor Day, so have a nice long weekend, and we will talk to you next Thursday. Happy holiday, Baranskis. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.